Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I thought I'd start this morning by sharing, obviously I'm from Northern Ireland, you may have worked it out from my accent, moved across to England 15 years ago, 2008, and realized when I got here, there's some words that you all say wrong, okay? <laughs> so I'm going to start, I'm going to teach you how to say some words properly, all right? Okay, now the words are going to come up one at a time on the screen, okay? All right? Shar. <laughs> Ready? One, two, three, set. Shar. Perfect. Right, next one. Our. 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 None of this our, our business. Our. Right, good. Next one. Hi. Now get that proper oh. Hi. Yeah. Not how. I mean, you know, you got mocked for that in my school growing up. Hi. Okay. Right, next one. No. Can we say it? I'll come in. Give me more than that. No. no. Yes. Okay. If you go on holiday in Northern Ireland, this is going to help you. Okay. People will understand you. Right. Next one. Now you th- you're looking at that thinking brown. No, it's not brown. 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 Next one. There's quite a few. Koi. We've all heard. Hoi, noi, brown, koi. Yeah. There we go. Koi. Final one. Par. Think golf. You know. Par. P-A-R. Par. Can we all say it? One, two, three. Par. Par. And that, this is what I'm going to talk about today. Par. But what I'm going to do, because I'm very friendly, I'm going to translate it for you. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about power. Power. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, who do you think is the most powerful person in this room? Okay, hands up. Well, shout out, whatever. Yeah? God. God, yes, yes. Okay, someone else tell me Jesus. Jesus, right. After God and Jesus, and don't say the Holy Spirit, yes, that's true as well. Who do you think is the most powerful person in this room? Vicky Armstrong. Vicky Armstrong, why? She's CEO. Yeah, that's it. CEO, chief executive, right there at the back. Okay, anyone else who's powerful, yeah? Andy Armstrong. Andy Armstrong, why? Because he's married to the CEO. Yes, he's married to the CEO. Yes, that gives him a lot of power. Anybody else? Who do you think is powerful in this room? Andy Armstrong, because of his surname. Strong, yes. And last time I was here, I had an arm wrestle with Andy, and he destroyed me. So that, again, means he's powerful. Yeah. Now, I'm going to move on from this room. Who do you think is the most powerful person in the world right now? George Soros. Who else? Anybody else? Elon Musk. Elon Musk, yeah. Uh, God. God, yes, yeah. I think I'm more of a human, but yes, good. Anyone else? Okay, well, apparently, according to Forbes magazine, it is this guy. Xi Jinping. He is the president of China, the largest country in the world, obviously the largest army in the world. He has nuclear weapons. He has, he has the ability to do a lot of stuff that none of us could ever dream of being able to do. He has a lot of 
power. Now, none of us, I imagine, would imagine that would think that we have enough power as Xi Jinping because that would be right. We don't have that much power, but we all do have some power. We have the power to influence our friends. We have the power, if we're maybe a doctor or a nurse, we've got the power to make people better. If we're a teacher, we've got the power to help students learn stuff, hopefully. Uh, if we're a parent, we've got the power to raise our kids well. If, but even just generally, we have the power to like treat people well or treat people not well. We have the power of what we say and how we talk about people. So we all have power to some degree, and we can all use power for good, or we can use power for bad. We can use power to cause harm. And one place in the Bible where we see power used for good and for harm is the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, Joseph, I know you've been going through this in church. Just to recap, Joseph was a 17-year-old boy. And I'm massively summarizing here, but a 17-year-old boy who was a bit full of himself. And because of that, his 11 other brothers, they hated him. They hated his gut so much so that they sell him into slavery. Now, there might be a few boys here thinking, I'd like to do that with one of my brothers. Not really an option today, but was an option back then. And that is what they did. They sold their brother Joseph into slavery. We've got a depiction of what that might have looked like here. And then they went and told their dad, he's dead. Okay, he's gone. He's dead. So not, I think we can all agree, a good use of power. Wouldn't you say that? Yes, not a good use of word. And then just in the story of Joseph, when we're wondering what happens next to Joseph, you're thinking, okay, I wonder what happens. He's sold into slavery. Where does he go? What happens? The story, if you read it in Genesis, the story completely changes tack. And it stops talking about Joseph and actually hones in and looks at one of Joseph's brothers, Judah. And basically, it's one chapter in Genesis, and you looked at it last week. Basically, it looks at Judah and shows how he abused his position of power to mistreat his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And I know you looked at that last week. Now, after that, we come back to the story of Joseph. We return and we find out what happens to Joseph. And we're going to find out what happens in Genesis chapter 39. That's our passage for today. And CJ is going to read... Genesis chapter 39. So over to you, CJ. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. The captain of the guard bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. 
No one is greater in the house, in this house, than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And those she spoke to Joseph the day after day refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had, and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind me, beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us, you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story of the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while but while Joseph was in the in there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was that for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Thanks, CJ. Let's give you a round of applause. Oh, it's a long passage to read out. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, so what we see from that passage, I think you probably see, is this story. It is about power, and there are three power dynamics at play here. This story is about willpower. It's about abuse of power, and it's also about God's power. And those are the three things we want to look at this morning. So firstly, willpower. Now, have any of you ever seen those little tests uh, where they get like a two or three-year-old, put them in a room, and they put a plate in front of them, and they'll put a marshmallow on the plate, and they say to the kid, look, if you, if you, I'm going to walk out of this room. If you don't eat this marshmallow, I'm going to come back in five minutes, and I'm going to give you another one. And the person leaves the room, and you just have this little two, three-year-old like this, sitting in the room with a marshmallow in front of them. And they're basically exerting every ounce of willpower they have in their body to not eat that marshmallow. Because they know if I, if I don't eat it, I'll get another one. And I don't know if you've ever seen it. Like some of the kids will blow the marshmallow, lick the marshmallow, like rub the marshmallow up and down their face, you know, like caress it, cuddle it, do everything to just not try and eat the marshmallow. And some of the kids do, some of them don't. But it's a really interesting test when it comes to willpower. And we kind of see a similar-ish thing here. I say ish, it is a very big ish, but it's a similar thing. Joseph showed real willpower to resist Potiphar's wife trying to sleep with him. And we saw that in the passage. He showed real willpower to do the right thing. And the complete opposite of what his brother Judah did last week. He definitely didn't do the right thing in how he treated Tamar. 
Now, what Joseph did well here was he realized that sleeping with his boss's wife was wrong. Now, it sounds obvious, doesn't it? But, it, you know, it's not always obvious to people. He's like, oh, it's all right. And, but Joseph, he clearly saw here, like, this is wrong. He wasn't like, uh, you know, maybe it's not bad, really. If he doesn't find out, who's, you know, it could be all right, it could be nice. He isn't like, you know, maybe if I just sleep with her once, it'll be all right. He isn't like that. He's minimizing things. He knows it's wrong, and he's determined not to give in. And another thing that Joseph does well here is when things go south, he gets out of there as fast as he possibly can, which is another great thing that he does. Now, I always have thought this passage is about resisting temptation, all right? And I, you know, Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with Joseph, and as tempting as that might be for Joseph, he says no. And I'm like, well done, Joseph, top marks. We just got to copy you, yeah? That's what we got to do. If you want to resist temptation, copy with Joseph, do what he did. I had actually written like a three-point sermon based on this passage on how to resist temptation, okay? And I had some killer illustrations. I had this awesome quote from Martin Luther about how to resist temptation. It was about birds in your hair. It was so good. You know, Trust me, you'd have loved it, right? But I've deleted it all because... The more I've read this passage, the more I've realized this story isn't actually about resisting temptation. As as good as that is, as important as that is for us as Christians, this story isn't actually primarily about that. Which, to be honest, when I realized that, made me a bit disappointed because I was looking forward to sharing my killer illustrations and my awesome Martin Luther quote. But I can't because that's not what I'm going to talk about today. Because if you think about it, temptation. What is temptation? Temptation is about trying not to do something that you want to do. You know, kid wants to eat marshmallow, but knows he shouldn't eat marshmallow. That's temptation, isn't it? But when we look at this story, it it doesn't look like Joseph wanted to sleep with Potiphar's wife at all. But what's actually going, what's actually happening is he's being cornered into doing this against his will. Now, when we think of it this way, that's not resisting temptation. That's something completely different altogether. And the more I've read this th- this week, the more I've came to realize that rather than being about resisting temptation, this passage is about abuse of power. That is what it's primarily about. Now, this story is, is similar to the one that we looked at last week, or you looked at last week. I know Tom came and preached on that. Joseph's brother Judah was, was a powerful man, and he abused that power he used that power to abuse his sister-in-law called Tamar. And it's a, it's a horrible passage. I mean, if you've read it, it really is terrible. Now, in the story today, though, the gender roles are reversed, okay? It's the woman who has the power, and it's the man who is powerless, unlike last week. Now, think about it. Potiphar's wife had all the power in this situation, and Joseph had none. Okay, Joseph may have been a bit physically stronger than Potiphar's wife, but aside from that, Joseph had no power and Potiphar's wife had it all. Potiphar's wife, she was free, whereas Joseph was a slave. She was rich, he was poor. She was Egyptian, whereas he was a foreigner. She was the kind of person who was believed, whereas he was not. She was able to leave if she wanted, whereas he was not, he was a slave. And despite Joseph being really clear that he did not want a sexual relationship, Potiphar's wife used her position of power to try and force him into it. 
One Bible commentator called Ian DeGuid says this about this passage. This story is a lot more like an attempted rape than seduction. This story is a lot more like attempted rape than seduction. So we shouldn't miss what's going on in this situation just because the victim was male and the perpetrator was female. Like, I mean, just try and imagine how different the story would feel if the gender roles were reversed, you know? Powerful man tries to sleep with powerless woman and doesn't take no for an answer. I mean, we know what to call that, don't we? So I really do think there's a reason these two stories, this one, Joseph and Potiphar, and the story about Judah and Tamar last week, there's a reason why they're side by side in the Bible. I think we're meant to see them as linked. We're meant to see them. They're both abuses of power from opposite ends of the gender, male and female. And I think today's sermon really is part two from last week's sermon. So if you didn't hear that, well, we're on part two today. And I think the lesson here for us all is that when we have power over another person, whether that's power over our friends at school, whether that's power over maybe staff that, we, that work for us, whether that's power over our family or our kids or whatever, when we have any kind of power, we shouldn't use that power to exploit them. Now, it kinda, you think it goes without saying, but I think it needs to be said. As Christians, we have a responsibility to use the power we have for good and to help the powerless rather than exploit the powerless. Amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Now, Joseph, as we see in this passage, he took a stand for justice. He, he stood up for what was right and he was punished as a result. He suffered injustice as a result. And you know, as Christians, we got to follow Joseph's example here and stand up for what's right. We've got to stand up for justice no matter what the consequences are, okay? And I'm going to say some stuff's pretty hard to say right now, but I think we need to hear it. I, um, I watched a film a few years ago called Spotlight. Um, it's a film about an uh, investigative, investigative journalist from the Boston Globe newspaper in America, and they basically uncovered uh, all the, the, the child abuse that was happening in the Catholic Church on the East Coast of America. And it, like, it's a heartbreaking film, them finding all this stuff and then finding out how the Catholic Church had covered it up over years and years and years and years. And you know what the most heartbreaking thing about it was? Was the people who should be the good guys in the story were the bad guys. And you might argue the people who were the, you know, Normally, the bad guys were the good guys. The journalists were the good guys. <laughs> you know, the church leaders were the bad guys in the story. And I'm like, oh, this is so heartbreaking. Terrible, terrible situation. And I think, you know, for me, it just it breaks my heart to hear about child abuse cases in any shape or form, but especially those that have happened in churches down throughout the years. You know, church leaders abusing their power to harm the powerless. It's awful. And I think what makes it worse is when these things are discovered, often the church, rather than seeking justice, has been in the past more concerned with covering it up. And the reason is because the cost of justice, the cost of telling the truth, the truth coming to light might be too great. You know, people might become disillusioned with the church or lose their faith, and we couldn't have that. That's what's happened in the past. And you know, as Christians, I just wanna say, look, we've gotta stand for justice above all else. Amen? Okay, we stand for what's right and we stand for what's true no matter what the consequence. Give me another amen. 
Yeah, now, very easy to amen it, but it's a lot harder to do it. One of those things, easier said than done. But we've got to do this. We've got to stand up for this. And, you know, if we do stand up for this as Christians, we'll take a hit. Just like Joseph did. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take being punished, being misunderstood. People coming at us because we're standing up for what's right. We're standing up for justice. But we've got to do it. That's what we do. Being a Christian, nobody ever said being a Christian was easy. You know, and we've got to take the hard road on this. Okay, so we've looked at willpower. We've looked at abuse of power, which we see in this passage. But we also see another power dynamic in this passage, and that is God's power. We see God's power here. Now, I've got a son, Max, who is six years old. And a couple of months ago, Max walks up to me and he goes, what's your name? And I'm like, well, I'm daddy to you. And then he goes, what's that? I says, it's a nose. And then he cups his hands and holds them out to me. He goes, what's in there? I look in, there's nothing in there. So I say, nothing. And he goes, Ha <laughs> ha, daddy knows nothing. <laughs> a big, big, hearty laugh. Daddy knows nothing. <laughs> and I look at Max and I smile and I think that's cute. And I instantly think, I know, he did not come up with that himself. And immediately I'm thinking, okay, who's behind this? Who taught him this? And it didn't take me long to work it out. I just looked over his shoulder and we were on holiday with my sister and her husband at the time. And I could just see my, 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 um, my brother-in-law just sitting in the corner, chuckling away. <laughs> <laughs> he clearly taught Max this and told him, right, you go say to your dad, that'll be so funny. But sometimes what we've got to do is we've got to look at what's behind things. And that's what we need to do in this passage. And we see clearly that God's power is clearly on display behind the scenes in this passage. Verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. So God's work, God's power is at work right there. Then verse 3 says, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. So even unbelieving Potiphar can see God's power at work behind the scenes here. And then we see verse 5 says, the Lord blessed the household of Potiphar because of Joseph. So it's not just Joseph that God's powerful blessing is impacting, but it's his boss and his household as well. So God's clearly at work behind the scenes in this story. Now, Whenever Potiphar's wife gets Joseph chucked in jail, it could have been really easy for Joseph to be like, God, what's just happened? You know, like, God, have you gone on holiday or something? I mean, is it half term? Like, have you, you know, have you gone to the lakes? Like, you know, have you, God, what have you done? Like, what, what's happened? It, it was all going so well. And then it seems like everything just goes off a cliff. You know, Joseph is rising in authority and then just boom, he's in jail. It's awful. What's going on? But no, it was all part of God's plan. God was still powerfully at work in this situation. And I think you can notice it. Verse 20 of our passage. In verse 20, it says, Joseph wasn't just put in any old prison. No, he was put in the, I don't know if you noticed it. He was put in the king's prison. He was put in the king's prison. Why? Because God was moving him to the next place that he needed him to be. It was all part of God's plan to raise Joseph to power in Egypt so that he could save his nation. Okay, so God was still working there. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, okay, I can see how God was working in Joseph's life. That's really clear. I get it. But if I'm honest, like, I don't see God working in my life. Well, 
unlike with the story of Joseph, we don't get our lives neatly written up and stuck in the Bible, you know, with all the bits where God worked in our lives clearly written down so everybody can read it. We, we, don't, we don't get that. We don't necessarily even get the nice happy ending where we can look back and see how God worked everything for good. But even though we don't get that perspective, God is still working in your life, even if you don't think you can see it. He's still working. He's still working. Now, Max and Grace, my son and daughter, Max is six. I mentioned him earlier. Grace is three. They share a room. And uh, when they go to bed at night, we play some music for them to help them go to sleep. And we have this playlist. It's got four worship songs on it. And one of the worship songs is Waymaker. All right. Now, we got to put this on for about 40 minutes every night for them to sleep. All right. Now, you think four songs cycles through. So, I hear Waymaker about, you know, six times every evening, all right? Okay? So I hear it a lot. And uh, the words, it's really interesting. The words in Waymaker says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. You never stop. You never stop working. And it's kind of like the people who wrote Waymaker decided that they didn't need to come up with any other lines because basically they sing that and then they sing it again and then they sing it again and then they scratched their head and thought we should probably come up with another line but this one's good you know we'll just sing it again and they sing it again and again and again and I'm like you know you never stop you never stop working I'm like you never stop actually singing this come on like can you have another line I'll throw in something else but and I've thought that so many times especially after you've heard it like five times in the evening every night of the week and it's just you never stop working you never stop working you never stop working and I, I thought to myself this week I was thinking you know what maybe there's something in that maybe God's trying to tell me something here that actually this is important and we need to be reminded of this again and again and again you know even if we don't see God working even if we don't feel it he is still working and he never stops working he keeps working he keeps working he keeps working out his plan in our lives that's what I'm taking from it anyway but I think that is something we need to be reminded of And even if like Joseph, you right now are are going through a really hard time, I really believe God's going to use that. He's going to morph that into good. He's going to use that to bring about his plan for your life. As it says, God works all things. Now that might be tough for you to hear if you're going through something right now, but it's not just God works all all the nice things. It's not God works some things. It's God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's us. Now that doesn't mean a lot of the things that happen to us are good. Some of us have been through some incredibly painful things these last few years. I know. But in a kind of mysterious way, What God does is he can take even the worst of things and he can use them to bring about good. So I remember when I was 17, I was staying over at my my granny's house um, and she died. I woke up the next morning and I was like, wow, she's dead. That's a dead body right there where my gran was. Now, that wasn't a nice thing. It wasn't a good thing. But actually, that moment set off a chain of events that led to me becoming a Christian, led to me getting saved. So God took something that wasn't good, but used it 
for good. I mean, he's got a track record of this, doesn't he? I mean, think Jesus Christ. That was good, but look what he did with it. He's got a track record of this. Um, about six, seven years ago, I had anxiety for about two years, really quite debilitating anxiety. I don't know where I got it from or how I got it, but it was really tough. Um, but, I mean, it's gone now, but what that's done in me is that's given me a greater compassion and empathy for other people who are suffering, which I didn't really have as much before. And compassion and empathy for people who are suffering is pretty essential if you're going to be a pastor of a church. So God took something that wasn't good, but he used it for good. Now, there are other things that have happened in my life, and I don't know what good has come from it. Maybe I never will know. And and we, we may never know how God used certain things or will use certain things that have happened to us for good. But what we got to do is we got to trust him in that. Because that is what faith is all about. It's trusting God in the stuff you don't get or you don't understand. You know, sometimes I get people come to me like, I, I'm not sure about this about God or they, I've got these questions about God. It's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But can you trust him even if you don't know the answers? Can you trust him even if those questions don't get answered? That's what it's all about. And I think one of the reasons we love the Joseph story, and we do, it's one of the most popular stories in the Bible. We love it because it's all so neat and tidy. It all ends up with all the loose ends nicely tied up. You know, there's redemption, there's forgiveness. He ends up being more powerful than Potiphar and his wife at the end. Sometimes I imagine, you know, Joseph as like, you know, the, the, the prime minister of Egypt, you know, riding past in his big parade and, you know, noticing Potiphar and his wife in the crowd and be like, hey, take a look at me now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe Joseph was much more holier. I mean, that's probably what I would. I'm like, hey, hey, yeah, check me out now. Yeah. But anyway, it does. It, it all ends up good. You know, there's vindication, there's forgive, forgiveness, there's redemption. It's all nice. And I think sometimes we'd love to have that in our lives. You know, everything tied up nicely. We know how God's used everything exactly. But we don't get that. We, we often don't have all the answers. We, you know, there's an element of uncertainty. There's an element of mystery with things. We, we wrestle with things. We struggle to get our heads around and we, we don't get quick answers. But, you know, I think that's actually part of what faith and trust in God is all about. If you didn't have any of that, when would you need to actually put your faith in God? When would you need to put your trust in God? God's basically saying to us sometimes, I think, with these things that we struggle to get our heads around, is like, yes, you don't have all the answers, but I want you to trust me anyway. And he loves that. He loves when we, when we don't get it, but we trust him anyway. When we're not sure why this or that has happened, but we're like, I have faith in you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you through this. I'm going to place myself in your hands. And ultimately, that's what God wants. He wants our trust. And he, he wants our hearts because that's where trust leads to. He wants our hearts. So there is even purpose in this stuff. You don't know what the purpose is for in the sense that it drives you to faith and it drives you to trust. So we've seen this morning God's power clearly on display in the life of Joseph. Yes? I think we can agree we've seen it. But the place where we see God's power most on display anywhere is in the life of who? Jesus, yes. I was pointing to you because you've said Jesus and God every time for the question. So I was like, yes, you know the right answer. Because it's through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection that God showed he had the power 
over the two most powerful things in our world, which is sin and which is death. Defeated them both at the cross so that when we trust in him, we get to defeat them too. We get to have victory over them too. And we can have our sins forgiven and we can have life. We can have eternal life in all its fullness after this life ends. Isn't that good news? That's good news. That is good news. And that is, that's what God's power does. That's what God's power does. It brings life. It brings eternal life. It brings salvation. It also, God's power also, it also makes up for the times when we don't have much willpower. You know, we have times like that. God's power also brings healing when we've we've suffered from abuse of power. God's power also brings forgiveness when we've abused our power. But that's what the power of God does. It, It covers those things. The grace of God is incredibly powerful. And that's why we sing, there is power in the name of Jesus. To do what? To break every break every chain there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain amen